We come to the beginning of the story of world history, of world history. We ended last week with uh, Adam and Eve being driven out of the garden. We begin this morning in chapter 4, and the story was told that after Eve had given birth to Cain and Abel, that Adam and Eve, I mean, that Adam was walking along with the two boys one day, and one of them noticed a beautiful garden at a distance. And they said, Dad, what is that? And Adam said, that's where we used to live until your mom ate us out of house and home. So uh, they were driven from the garden. And we come now to the beginning of, as I said, civilization. And we see quickly the effects of sin on the human race. Let me read to us verses 1 through 10. Now the man had relations with his wife Eve, and she conceived and gave birth to Cain. And she said, I've gotten a man-child with the help of the Lord. Again, she gave birth to his brother Abel. And Abel was a keeper of flocks, and Cain, but Cain was a tiller of the ground. So it came about in the course of time that Cain brought an offering to the Lord of the fruit of the ground. Abel, on his part, also brought of the firstlings of his flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and for his offering. But for Cain and for his offering, he had no regard. So Cain became very angry, and his countenance fell. Then the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry, and why is your countenance fallen? If you do well, will not your countenance be lifted up? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door, and its sin's desire is for you, but you must master it. Cain told Abel his brother, And it came about when they were in the field that Cain rose up against Abel, his brother, and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, Where is Abel your brother? And he said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? He said, What have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. God, we thank you that truly history is truly his story. The story of redemption, a redeemer who would come, a redeemer whose blood speaks clearer and more powerful even than the blood of Abel. God, we pray this morning that we would hear your message this morning clearly. Father, that we would proclaim truth, but above all, we would be hearers of the word and Lord, not, we would be doers of the word, not hearers only. But God, give us ears to hear this morning, hearts to respond to what you'd have to say to us. For your glory, in Christ's name, amen. The Lord said an interesting thing to Abel in verse 10. Your blood, the voice of your, about Abel, the voice of your blood, your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. Jesus will tell us later on that Abel was a prophet. And we know that a prophet is one who speaks for God. And God said to Cain, the voice of your brother's blood is crying to me. This morning, we want to hear that message. We want to understand what kind of message do we receive from the blood of Abel? Let's look at this passage and, and we'll begin to see and hear what he's saying to us. First of all, we see the presentation of the offering. If you have your bulletin this morning, your worship guide, you'll see the offering there. Somebody said we're going to be here a long time. No, we're just going to go really fast, okay? But here's the outline right there. The first thing we see is the presentation of the offerings. 
So as we do that, we want to kind of look at verse 1. The first thing, as we look at the presentation, where did they come from? Came from Cain and Abel. Where did they come from? Adam and Eve. The Bible says that Eve gave birth to two boys. Now we know that Moses wrote the first five books of the Bible. So it's interesting from a man's perspective about this birth. He tells us that the brothers are conceived. He says, Adam, the brothers are conceived. Adam knew his wife. Adam had relations with his wife. Church, I want you to know this word tells us God's intention for sexual relationships. The physical relationship of a man and woman is the most intimate of all relationships. It's to be reserved for marriage. It is the expression of oneness in marriage. It is expression of the intimacy of a man and a woman together who are joined together for life. Adam knew his wife. He had relations with his wife. Sexual relationships are not to be entered into casually. The scripture says we are to keep the marriage bed undefiled. To know someone is to have an intimate knowledge of who they are. It's interesting to me when Jesus in Matthew 7 condemned the religious crowd. He said, depart from me for I never, what? Knew you. Now they said, Lord, didn't we do miracles in your name? Didn't we cast out demons in your name? Didn't we prophesy in your name? I mean, these are good people. Jesus said, I never knew you. Did they somehow go underneath the radar of Jesus and Jesus just never knew they existed? No, that's not what he's saying. He said, I never knew you. I never had an intimate, personal relationship with you. And church, that's what eternal life is. Jesus said in John 17, 17, 3, that we may know God. That's what it means to have eternal life, is that we have an intimate, personal relationship with God, that we know God, but more importantly, God knows us. So I hope that's true of your life today. So Eve conceived and gave birth to Cain, Moses says, with the help of the Lord. Now, I want to give you a little insight here. In the Hebrew, that means, ah, help me, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. That's what it means. If you've ever been around childbirth with no medication, that's what it means. Teresa had our third, our youngest, Cameron. We named him all K, KJ, Katie, and I wanted to name him Caboose, but we named him Cameron. And she had, gave birth in Jackson with no medication. With no medication. I was there the whole time trying to encourage her, saying, take the shot, take the shot, take the shot. But she did the whole process without any medication. And she did great, by the way. I'll say that. But can you imagine Eve giving birth to Cain with the help of the Lord, as Moses says? (laughs) Women, you know what. I love E.V. Hill, the great black preacher. His wife said the first thing she's going to do when she gets to heaven is whoop Eve. Because that's a painful thing. But Cain was born with the help of the Lord. We see in birth the first effect of sin when it comes to women bearing children. Uh, Genesis 3.16, in pain you will bring forth the children. So Eve gives credit to the Lord. She says, she names him Cain, which means acquired or gotten one. I know that Chris and Amy, who just dedicated little Addie, know that Addie is a gift from the Lord. If you're a parent today, your child is a gift from the Lord. I have acquired, that's what the word Cain means. Abel was born. We see, and we're going to talk about his name a little later on. But she gives birth to Cain. 
Then she gives birth to Abel. Abel becomes a herder and Cain is a tiller of the ground. So we could say that Abel was a herdsman, a cattle farmer. He probably sheep and goats. And Cain was a farmer. So it comes time to present the offering. We see an offering is required. Now, if you've been with us through our journey through Genesis, this is the first instance we have of an offering. Why is an offering required? We see a hint to it after Adam and Eve sinned in the garden. It said that God himself clothed them with what? Animal skins. So there we see the first death in the garden because of their sin. God covered their shame with the death of an animal. God formed for Adam and Eve coverings of animal skin. So some animal died as a result of their sin. But now we see God uh, requiring Adam, I mean, Abel and Cain are offering their, bringing their offerings to the Lord. An offering is required because of Isaiah 59 two, which we stated obviously years later. But your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God. Sin separates. Whereas Adam and Eve walked in the garden with God in the cool of the day, God came to them and walked with them. Now there's a separation because of their sin. They've been driven from the garden. Now an offering is required. Why? To appease God, to please the Lord. I give you an example of that in, in Genesis chapter 8. Noah, after the ark experienced in the flood, the scripture says he offered up a burnt offering to the Lord. Here's what it says. The Lord smelled the aroma, the soothing aroma, and was pleased. Somehow, the offering of this animal, this this fire burning of, of, of an animal cooking, pleases the Lord. Now, the only thing I can relate to that is there are very few things that smell better than a steak on the grill. Can you? There we go. Amen. 5408 Harborview Lane. That's where I live. But uh, there are very few things that smell. You, can you imagine? You know, that's what Noah offered up, a burnt offering. And, and here Abel brings the fatly portions. And, and you know, my dad, mom used to cut the fat off and say, dad, dad would eat that. That's the best part of the meat. That's the best part of the steak. But it burns and it smells. And it smells so good. And you know what? Cain brought an offering of the grain. And Leviticus chapter 2 says that grain is mixed with oil, and it too is a burnt offering before the Lord. Have you ever smelt cornbread on the stove? Now, how does that smell? Hey, right next to a steak, that's pretty good. And so these offerings were brought to the Lord of grain and of meat to please the Lord. You read it for yourself in Genesis 8. The the soothing aroma pleased the Lord. So an offering was required. And both of these boys brought offerings. We see in Scripture that Abel's offering is accepted. Abel, on his part, brought of the firstlings of his flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord had, notice this, this is important. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering. The Lord had regard for Abel and his offering. When Abel brought his offering, the firstborn of his flocks, the portions of fat of his herd, the Lord was pleased. Let me tell you what I think happened. When Abel brought that meat and he laid it before the Lord, a fire from heaven consumed it. 
Doesn't say a lot about fire. I know they were, we don't think about cavemen in those terms, but God sent a fire from heaven, consumed that meat and that sweet smelling aroma, that, that soothing aroma was lifted up to the Lord. And God was pleased. God had regard for Abel and for his offering. Three times in the New Testament, we're told that Abel was a righteous man. Hebrews 11, 4. The writer of Hebrews says, By faith, Abel offered to God a better sacrifice than Cain, through which he obtained the testimony that he was righteous. God testifying about his gifts. And through faith, though he is dead, he still speaks. There we have it again. Abel is a prophet. And he has a message for us. He still speaks. But we see there, Abel was a righteous man. Because we see there, his offerings gave testimony to the fact that he was righteous. So the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering. Abel was a righteous man. Next we see Cain's offering is rejected. Verse 5. But for Cain and for his offering... The Lord had no regard. Again, Scripture doesn't tell us this, but I believe when when Abel presented his meat, God consumed it with fire. (sighs) Cain brought his vegetables, his grain, and nothing happened. I believe that's how they knew that God didn't regard his offering. But for Cain and for his offering, he had no regard, no fire, no aroma. Now, some have said, you know, the reason that God accepted Abel's sacrifice and rejected Cain's was that God loved meat more than he loved vegetables. Well, I just say everybody knows you can't get blood out of a turnip. You know that, right? If you're from the country, you've heard that before. But anyway, the key is not the offering. I want you to understand this this morning. This is so important. The key is not the offering, but the attitude of the one who's presenting the offering. Cain's offering is not the problem. You know what the problem was? Cain. Cain's offering was not the problem. The problem was Cain's heart. See, God prescribes grain offerings. Grain offerings are not repulsive to the Lord. We don't have time, but Leviticus chapter 2, verses 1 through 3 and verse 14, we said a while ago, the grain is to be mixed with the oil and it's to be burnt before the Lord. And that's a sweet-smelling savor that goes up to God and God is pleased. So God not only rejected Cain's offering, he rejected Cain. The problem was with Cain's heart. See, we can read this text and we can't see. We can only see what's going on on the outside. Look at, looking at our friends and neighbors, looking at our family, looking at the church. All we can see is, you know, God told David, man looks on the outside, but God looks on the what? The inside, the heart. And so God was able to see Cain's heart. What did he see? Again, we don't see it here in the text, but in the scripture, 1 John 3, verse 12. 1 John 3, verse 12. John said, you should love one another. Not as Cain, who was of the evil one and slew his brother. And for what reason did he slay him? Because his deeds were evil and his brothers were righteous. There we get just a little insight into Cain's heart. We could see what was going on on the inside. We could see what God saw. Cain was an evil man. 
So it wasn't just his offering that was rejected. Cain was rejected. The grain was, was rejected because his heart was not right. Cain was of the evil one. God rejects insincere offerings. We see that all throughout Scripture. In Amos, God told the people, even though you offer up to me burnt offerings, you bring the best meat and grain offerings, I will not accept them. I will not accept them. Because, see, the heart is the most important part of any offering. Anything we give to God, anything we do for God, has to be done with a sincere heart. God knows what's going on in the inside. We can fool everybody on the outside, but the Lord knows the heart. Why did God reject the, the sacrifices in Amos today? Because their hearts were not right. They were living in rebellion. Did you know you can be in church and still your heart's not right? Did you know you can be involved in a lot of religious activities and be far from God? God knows our heart. Notice how Cain's relationship with God impacted his relationship with his brother. Cain really, in essence, was angry with God, so he killed his brother. I want you to know that our relationship with God affects how we treat other people. But I want you to know just the opposite is true as well. Our relationship with other people impacts our relationship with God. Jesus said, if you're presenting what? An offering at the altar. You're bringing your offering to the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you. Jesus said, go. He said, leave your offering at the altar. Go, make things right with your brother. Then come and present your offering. Do you understand that? I mean, do you hear me this morning? This means, yeah, yeah, amen. You know, the best way to get rid of a preacher is amen him. He'll preach himself to death. You know, but the, we can't be right with God if we're not right with each other, okay? So Cain's, this whole offering thing, He became angry with God and he became angry with his brother and he killed his brother. The Lord knows our hearts. We can't fool him. Again, this is not a matter, I want you to understand this. This is not a matter of one sacrifice being better than another. This is a matter of one man's heart being right and the other man's heart is not being right. Quickly, the reaction of Cain, verses 5 and 6. But for Cain and for his offering, he had no regard. So Cain became very angry. And his countenance fell. Then the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry? And why is your countenance fallen? If you do well, will, you, will not your countenance be lifted up? You can be restored. And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door, and its desire is for you. But you must master it. The reaction of Cain. Cain became very angry. Angry. You know, in Galatians 5, Paul tells us the deeds of the flesh versus the fruit of the Spirit. And one of the deeds of the flesh that always gets my attention is outbursts of anger. You know, anger gets us in trouble and pride keeps us there, doesn't it? We say things in anger to our spouse or to our friends or our neighbor. Anger gets us in trouble and pride keeps us there. Cain's anger got him in trouble. But look what God does. God's gracious invitation. The Lord has given Cain a warning Sin is crouching at your door. But he's also giving him an invitation to overcome. Sin is crouching at your door. It's desires for you. Again, it's the same word that Brother Colby used last week in talking about Eve's desire for her husband. It's a desire to control, to want to be in charge. And the Lord's telling Cain, sin wants to take control of your life. 
And it will if you allow it. God's saying, Cain, sin's coming at you, but don't let this thing get the best of you. You can overcome this. Doesn't that remind you of what Paul told the church at Corinth? That when any time a temptation comes, Paul said, God is faithful. God is faithful. And will, with the temptation, make a way to escape. The Lord is telling Cain, sin wants to dominate you. But you can overcome it. There is a way to escape. The Word of God tells us, sin wants to dominate you. Sin wants to dominate me. Therefore, he who thinks he stands, take heed lest he fall. Satan is powerful. He comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But you can overcome it. God is faithful, Paul says, and will provide with the temptation a way to escape. There's two things when temptation comes. We need to be looking for God's way of escape, and then we got to take it. we got to take it. And that's what the Lord is telling Cain here. Here's a warning. Sin wants to master you. But here's an invitation. You can overcome it. You can overcome it. We can overcome it. When we look to the Lord instead of looking to the sin and to our circumstances, we can overcome it. Cain refused God's warning. Cain refused God's gracious invitation. So look at verse 8. Cain's continued rejection. Cain told his brother. That's interesting in the American Standard. What did he tell him? Actually, he set an appointment with his brother. He said, meet me in the field. Let's go out in the field. Got something I want to show you. I want to talk to you about, I want to talk to you about a dog or something. I want to talk to you about something. And so Cain literally lured his brother Abel into the field. And he killed him. And he rose up and he killed him. We see again the effects of sin. How could Cain kill his own brother? Heard a preacher say one time the most amazing thing about Scripture and about life is not the second coming of Christ and the eschatology and all this stuff. The most amazing thing is why do people do what they do? Why do people do what they do? I don't want to give you a simple answer to a complex problem, but Jeremiah 17 says the heart is deceitful, deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Since the garden, we have all been born with that type of heart that is deceitful and desperately wicked. First John 3, again, John tells us that Cain was of the evil one. Who is the evil one? Satan. And what does he come to do, John 10, 10? He cometh not but to steal, to kill, and to destroy. Absolutely. To destroy. To kill, steal, kill, and destroy. Let me tell you this, church. When a man or a woman refuses God's gracious invitation, Satan is always there to lead you astray. When you refuse God's gracious invitation of escape, Satan will always lead you astray. When a man or woman attempts to run from God, when a man or woman runs from God, Satan will always provide the transportation. He will always provide the transportation. Any move you make that's not toward God, that's going away from God, Satan will always be there for the influence. Cain allowed his anger to lead him down the path to destruction, to sin. Now this morning, your problem may not be anger. It could very well be. There are a lot of angry people out there. It may not be angry. Anger. But it could be lust. It could be greed. 
And I want you to hear this morning God's warning to you. And I want you to hear this morning God's gracious invitation to you. You don't have to surrender to sin. You don't have to give in to the flesh. There is a better way. God's confrontation with Cain is in verse 9. Then the Lord said to Cain, Where is Abel your brother? And he said, I do not know. Am I your brother's, my brother's keeper? Boy, we've heard that a lot, haven't we? Am I my brother's keeper? Yeah, we are. But God's invitation turns to God's con- confrontation. Where is your brother? It sounds very similar to what God had asked Cain's daddy. Adam, where are you? Remember that? God came walking in the garden. Adam, where are you? God knew where Adam was. God knew where Cain's brother was. But God was asking a question so that Cain would admit his problem. So that Cain would know where he was. God asked for Cain's benefit. What, where, where, where's your brother? What have you done? Again, that's the power of God's word to reveal to us where we are spiritually. The power of God's word brings us face to face with who we are and what we've done. The Bible says we all have that wicked heart, just deceitful above all things. You can't get around. That's what the word of God says. So God comes and he confronts Cain with a question so that he will know exactly where he is. God's condemnation of Cain's sin, verses 10 through 16. We didn't read this. We'll go quickly. He said, what have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. Now you are cursed from the ground, which has opened his mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you cultivate the ground, it will no longer yield its strength to you. You will be a vagrant and a wanderer in the earth. Cain said to the Lord, my punishment is too great to bear. Behold, you've driven me this day from the face of the ground and from your face. That's the greatest punishment. From your face, I will be hidden and I will be a vagrant and wanderer of the earth. And whoever finds me will kill me. So the Lord said to him, therefore, whoever kills Cain, vengeance will be taken on him sevenfold. And the Lord appointed a sign for Cain so that no one finding him would slay him. Then Cain went out from the presence of the Lord and settled in the land of Nod, east of Eden. Let me just tell you right off, I don't know what the mark was. And I don't know anybody who knows exactly what the mark was. But Cain was marked. Cain, we see God's condemnation of Cain's sin. He was marked. But we do know that instead of being a farmer, he became a nomad, traveling around. He was a wanderer. He lived in the land of Nod, which means wandering. He lived east of Eden. You know, there are a lot of people today, just like Cain, trying to run from their past. You can't undo what's been done in the past. But like Cain, they're running from their past. Their lives are lacking in meaning and purpose. We can't undo our past, but thankfully we can find forgiveness and healing in the Lord. You know, the greatest punishment, Cain thought that he would be banished from God's presence. But you know, he wasn't. He was banished from his family, but God never forsook him. God never forsook him. And so it's true with us. Verse 17 said, Cain had relations with his wife. People also often ask me, well, who did Cain marry? My response is, I'd tell you if I was able Okay, let's get to the heart of what we're looking at today. Back to verse 10. The communication of Abel's blood. The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. What is Abel's message? Very simply, Abel's message, Abel's blood speaks of condemnation. It's not a good message, church. 
The blood of the ground is never a good message. The blood of the ground brings condemnation. How do we know that? Luke chapter 11, verse 50. Jesus said, so that the blood of all the prophets, you got it up there, shed since the foundation of the world may be charged against this generation from the blood of Abel. What's Jesus saying? Abel was the first prophet. From the blood of Abel to the blood of Zechariah, who was killed between the altar and the house of God. Yes, I will tell you, it shall be charged against this generation. The message of the blood is always condemnation. Blood that is spilt on the land, the ground. The ground cries out with a message of condemnation. Deuteronomy 35, 33. Again, I know we're taking you a lot of places, but you got to see this. God says, so you shall not pollute the land in which you are. For blood pollutes the land. And no expiation, no cleansing can be made for the land for the blood that is shed on it. Except by the blood of him who shed it. The shedding of blood pollutes the land. Killing a man polluted the land with his blood. Again, that's why Jesus spoke condemnation to Israel for killing not only not just men, but God's prophets from the foundation of the world. The blood of the prophets is crying out, condemning this nation, condemning these people. Why? Because it requires blood for blood. Now, Deuteronomy Deuteronomy 29, if you found a man dead on the street or in the road, you didn't know where he came from, who killed him, you go to the elders of the nearest city and they could take a heifer and kill that blood and they could be cleansed of the blood of this guy that nobody knew how he died, okay? The blood can be expiated, but in Numbers 33, when they know what happened, the blood cries from the ground, a message of condemnation. The shedding of Abel's blood brought condemnation. God will avenge the blood of his prophets and all those who are killed because who are killed because of the word of God and because of their testimony. You got to listen faster. Revelation 6. Look, when the lamb broke the fifth seal, when the lamb broke the fifth seal, Revelation 6, I saw underneath the altar the souls of those who had been slain because of the word of God and because of the testimony which they had maintained. And they cry out with a loud voice saying, How long, O Lord, holy and true, will you refrain from judging and avenging our blood on those who dwell on the earth? And there was given to each of them a white robe and they were told they should rest for a little while longer until the number of their fellow servants and their brethren who were to be killed, even as they had been, would be completed also. In Revelation 6, the martyrs are crying out, Lord, when are you going to avenge our blood? Our blood is crying out. Do you hear the message, God? God hears the message. God takes notice of the shedding of blood, especially those of his children. God takes persecution very... Do you remember what Jesus said to Saul on the road to Damascus? First thing, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? What had Saul been doing? Putting to death Christians. Jesus said, why are you persecuting me? God takes the blood of his children very, very seriously. I'm telling you, church, the blood of Christians in Egypt this spring, the blood of Christians in Libya this spring, has not gone unnoticed by our God. Their blood mingles with the blood of the martyrs from the foundation of the world, and that blood will be avenged. That blood brings condemnation. That blood brings judgment. 
As your pastor, I can't help but stand here and tell you that the blood of 57,496,011 unborn babies that have been aborted in our country, their blood cries out before our God with condemnation, with judgment, bringing upon our land the right due for shedding innocent blood. Jude verse 11 says, Woe to them, for they have gone the way of Cain. The message of the blood of Abel is a message of condemnation. God will avenge Abel's blood and the blood of his people. Sin brings death. And with death comes judgment. It's inescapable. But there's hope. There's hope. Jesus' blood... Can I get a hallelujah? Can I get an amen? Amen. Jesus' blood. Wow. Hebrews 12, 24. This is where we are, church. He says, you have come to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood which speaks better than the blood of Abel. Amen? I mean, can you not get excited about that? That Abel's blood brings condemnation. But the message of the blood of Jesus is redemption. Now, I don't know that we've got many murderers here today. But Jesus said, if you hate a man in your heart, you're guilty of murder. That puts you close. But I know we got adulterers. I know we got thieves. I know we got covenant breakers. And that condemnation that we deserve is cleansed by the blood of Jesus. The blood of Jesus speaks better than the blood of Abel. Abel's blood spoke of condemnation, condemning all generations for the shedding of blood. Jesus held the people of his generation accountable for the blood from the foundation of the world. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. All of our sin. The blood of Jesus speaks of redemption and now redeems us from the curse of our sin. His blood now cleanses us from our guilt, our shame, our anger, our lust, our greed, our mistakes. All the things that we've done that impacted our lives and the lives of others. His blood is our only hope. Our only hope. But there's one more thing about Abel and I'll be done. You know what Abel means? It means mist or vapor. It was prophetic that his life was cut short. But Abel's life reminds us that it's appointed to all men once to die. That our life, James chapter 4 says, your life is just a vapor, a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes away. You know, I've heard preachers say that. You know, our life is brief. We don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. You know, God's given you a warning today. And God has given you a gracious invitation today to get right with God. We don't have to live under the condemnation of sin. We don't have to live under the guilt and shame of our past mistakes. The blood of Jesus speaks better than the blood of Abel. It cleanses us. We've been redeemed, Pastor Colby read a while ago, not with silver or gold from our futile way of life and inherited from our forefathers, but with precious blood as of a lamb, unblemished and spotless, the blood of Christ. They told Billy Graham early in his ministry, stop preaching so much about the blood. You got such a bloody message. Billy Graham said, it's all about the blood. 
And that may not make sense to you this morning. I hope that it's a little clearer now based on what we see in Genesis. But blood's required. Blood, remember Numbers 33? Blood for blood. But church, there's one who died for us, who gave his blood for us so that we would not be condemned. Jesus said, he who believes in him is not judged, but he who does not believe is judged already. Hear the message of Abel this morning. Don't refuse God's gracious invitation. Jesus says, whoever comes to me, I will not turn them away. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you that the blood of Jesus speaks better than the blood of Abel. Lord, all of us have gone the way of Cain. Without Christ, we are of the evil one. We are adulterers. We are murderers. We are thieves. We are liars. Because our hearts are wicked. They're sick. It's deceitful. God, I thank you that the Lord Jesus promises us a new heart. That you will write your law upon our heart. You'll put your spirit within us. You will empower us to do your will. You will cleanse us. You'll separate our sin as far as the east is from the west. If any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things become new. Thank you, Jesus. Father, I pray if there's one here today, one, who's still bearing their own shame, still bearing their own guilt, may they come to the one today who died on the cross, who bore our sin in his body on the cross so that we can become righteous. Not just a good person. We can have the righteousness of Christ in us by faith. Bless this time of response. Bless this invitation, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.